Good morning and welcome to HR Tech Weekly with Stacey Harris and John Zumser. We're dialing in direct from the echo chamber at the HR Tech Conference in Las Vegas. How are you, Stacey? I'm doing well, John. Enjoying very dry but sunny weather here in Las Vegas. Yeah, it's this. This will be a very interesting thing because I think there isn't a delay on the line, but there's a delay in the room. So, <laughs> so we'll have an interesting sort of ping pong ball conversation. We've been yep. at the conference all week. What have you learned? Well, it's been a busy week. I would have to say that what I've learned is that no no conferences should be held within one week of each other because it's been very tough to have. I've talked to a lot of people who've been at like three conferences back to back this week. So hopefully next year they can work out timing so conferences aren't so close. But outside of that, I think, you know, there's been some interesting new announcements as well as the fact that I think there's a pretty big sentiment uh, across the entire uh, market that there aren't any big changes this year. And that's maybe the biggest news of all, that this is a year of, almost preparation and adjustment and learning and we're getting ready to head into something really really exciting it's sort of like the anticipation before something big happens Um, that's been sort of the feeling that i'm getting in uh, this week's session you know that's so interesting because at the same time i i couldn't agree with you more that it seemed like more of the same but at the very same time i bet half of the booths that i walked by on the expo floor we're showcasing artificial intelligence, you know, and yeah. so, so, so the weirdness of kind of a science fiction level of functionality, coupled with the the sense that things are not changing at all, that's that, that's an interesting um, situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, um, it, I think there was an interesting dynamic happening, whether you were an analyst sitting in the industry analyst room, sort of listening to the vendors talking and briefing, um, compared to sort of being out on the floor in the expo hall. If you were out on the floor in the expo hall, you know, there were big cell phone, like, you know, life-size cell phones the size of a person that were sort of showing bots off. There were uh, mannequins that were moving heads like robots. There were you know, um, huge demonstrations of, you know, sort of machines, you know, sort of talking back to people, right? Um, But all of it was still a bit, and that sort of, you know, I don't want to call it smoke and mirrors. I mean, it was all working, but I would say that it was in in the very early stages. Everyone would was very clear that this was something that they're working on. When they got to the analyst rooms, you know, uh, last year we heard artificial intelligence, machine learning in every one of our briefings, right? Um, I, at least this year, they didn't talk a lot about that. Basically, what they were saying is that they are getting prepared to make the big jump most of the time when they were talking to me. Um, and I think it is that they're getting tired of the analysts sort of saying, you know, what's really happening? They're getting tired of being hit over the head with, you know, AI is not really here yet by the analysts. So they're trying to be a little bit more realistic to us. But they have to have something to show on the floor, and so that's what we were seeing, at least from my perspective. Well, you know, I, I didn't really notice that. But then my favorite thing on the showroom floor was a, um, a company that sells nap pods, um, and and you know they had they had the long one that looked like an MRI, and the short one that looked like a personal cabana, and the the other one that looked like a massage chair, and you could buy these nap pods for your office for 1500 bucks a piece. And when I looked at them, I really wanted the nap, so they were really attractive products. 
<laughs> so that's what caught your eye then. I mean, you didn't you didn't take a look at the at the simulated female robot sitting in the one uh, corner. <laughs> oh, there was a porn section. I didn't realize there was a porn section to the um, show right. for. No, I, no, I, no. I probably missed that. But I, I, you know, I've I've spent enough time in the research on AI that that I wasn't really interested in. Um, Companies that were were saying AI. I, I, my sense is that that when you talk about AI, you're talking about how the product is built, and I'm much more interested in understanding what the product does. I, I'm not sure that I care all that much about how you build it, and so so I find that the description AI simply fuzzies the, the the question of what the company actually does and and yeah. it seems to me to be an indicator of a lack of maturity more than anything else so so with your you know you you've obviously done probably some of the deepest research in the ai space to date in the hr technology market um what was the most exciting briefing you had this week then which one really caught your eye knowing what you know about the market which is a little bit more than most of us at this point well, well, so so I'm fond of the people who say we're really experimenting, but we don't know what we're doing just yet. Um, and and it, and it takes a level of confidence that it, that's an indicator of the potential for success to be able to say this is an engineering and science project, and of course we don't know all of the answers. And here's how we're trying to get to the answers. That's a much more sensible description of, of what's going on. When I look out at the market, I see a number of interesting laboratories, and there are some fascinating experiments going on in these laboratories, but they're just that. They're, they're experiments. They are not finished products. And mm -hmm. um, if you want to get maximum value out of your investment, it's a good time to become a customer because you get the opportunity to shape the outcome. But it's an experiment, uh, right? And, yeah. and so so it's just that early adopter stage of things in this market. What, what we're going to see, every single software vendor in HR technology by this time next year will have started to utilize, utilize the next layer of abstraction, which is AI technology. Um, and... It'll just be part of everything. The most important piece of that is where for the last decade, we have been trying to figure out how to get uh, the uh, user to spend more time in the software. What we're trying to do now is get the user to spend less time in the software and get more value out of the time they spend. That's what the new technology is really all about. And, and people are starting to catch on to that. And that means yeah. that the exciting part of this is that people are solving intractable problems in little tiny steps and pieces. And you can't see a bright, new, shiny thing. But when they say the software is learning and the software is gaining in intelligence, what it means is that... Um, um, yeah, intractable problems are being solved. Yeah, so that, and, that and I think the aggregate exciting thing. The aggregate exciting thing. I was going to say, yeah. I mean, I think it's a it's a good point that that it's the 
it, you know, and I, I've said this, I actually wrote it last year in the, the Sierra Cedar report, um, and, it, and I think it's, it's, you know, every year it's coming a little bit more clear to me that, you know, where it used to be that, you know, the whole thing was about seeing the technology and experiencing and, and adopting the technology, right? And the next wave, as you're mentioning, will be all about making the technology invisible, the smaller the less intrusive, the more it captures data and does things for you without really you realizing that technology is definitely where things are heading, right? That's exactly right. So what did you see that caught your eye? Well, you know, I think what caught my attention the most this year was was the things on the edges. You know, our data definitely showed this year um, that, you know, organizations are generally pretty happy with their HR technologies, the big platforms, the core HRM, MS is the talent management systems, the workforce management systems, the um, payroll solutions. You know, there's obviously room for change. There's uh, workforce management, talent management is ripe for some probably real um, disruption in the market right now. But I think those spaces are going to see huge transformations like we've seen in the last five or so years. Where I saw the most interesting stuff happening this year is really in what we would consider those edge spaces, the things around the fringes that touch other areas of the business. So one of my favorite um, briefings was Move Guides this year. And we've talked a little bit about Move Guides in the past, but they're they're a a global mobility technology um, that started out really being a technology that could sort of track all the logistics that went into global mobility, but also tracked all of the requirements needed and the education needed and the paperwork needed and all the things that oftentimes sort of end up in disparate places, right? So, and, and the thing is, is that what makes them, I think, so interesting to everybody is not so much that they're um, pulling together all the HR processes, that's just sort of a piece of what they're doing, but the relationships they have with other functions like um, logistics companies and moving companies and, you know, um, uh, legal governments for paperwork and H-1B visa management stuff, right? It's, it's those relationships outside of HR that make what they're doing so interesting because that's the space, I think, where the most um, probably um, engaging stuff is happening right now, the stuff that's going to make a big impact in HR. Another example of this is um, Virgin Pulse. I sat and talked with them this year, and their big you know, sort of wellness platform program, you know, with their, the, uh, an app tool that sort of connects all the things that are happening from a wellness perspective. And their model is just to sort of uh, integrate as much as possible with anyone else who has deep, deep wellness programs like a will or a headspace type of thing and becomes sort of a central point. It's this idea of brokers, of people who sort of take care of the mess in between things, right, that seem to be the most exciting for organizations, that they're handling the messier parts of, of what was once considered an HR's, you know, job to sort of manage, you know, through people or spreadsheets or, you know, manual tools. That's interesting. So do you, th- do you see this wellness thing actually bearing fruit now? Um. I think bearing fruit is is, is an is a is a, um, uh, a whether or not it has business outcomes right now right <laughs> is a better part. I think the answer is that we're seeing that organizations who invest in what we would consider social responsibility elements of their organization generally find that they have better business and talent outcomes right. You know, and that's a lot of fluffy you know you know consultant words, but data showing that there is some value to it from that perspective. 
but I don't think it's going to have real impact. And this is sort of my little soapbox this year until it connects to the, the actual benefits that organizations are tracking right now. These two worlds are pretty well separated. The wellness efforts and all the tools and pieces that go along with this and the benefits administration that happens inside organizations. They sometimes talk, sometimes pass some information back and forth, but they are generally two separate areas. Sometimes there's some legal things around that, um, regulations, but most of the time I think it's just that the two worlds um, are very separate in how they look at their role in meeting the employee's needs. But at the end of the day, the employee looks at them as both the same. Go ahead. Um, so, uh, so I think that's going to be the most interesting thing is that, you know, those two worlds have to really connect before we can see real impact out of those, which is the health, the welfare, sort of the, the benefit side as well as the health and wellness side. That, that's, that's really interesting. So you do see something happen. Um, um, and Virgin Pulse is a good indicator of what that might look like? I think it's on the edges of it, yeah. I don't think anybody's doing that connection really well yet, right? I wouldn't say anybody's got that, but I'd say they're probably one of the closest to it because of some of the data they're bringing into their program, yeah. Huh. Okay, so what else? We see we see some wellness stuff. Sparks of life in the wellness section. Yep. Um, well, um, other than that, I mean, some of the other interesting things that we saw was um, a, we had an opportunity to talk to achievers. Now, I didn't see the product itself. It's, it's one of those things where we probably need a pretty deep demo. But I think achievers has really um, touched on what's happening with the personalization um, and this idea of taking rewards and connections and uh, personal sort of um, uh, engagement to the next level um, and personalizing it. Now, to do this, they're going to need some machine learning. They're going to need some uh, some um, predictive analytics over time. Um, but I think they have a pretty good concept of how they might get there, which is, like you said, part of the challenge, right, just knowing what you need to do. Um, and so we had a really good conversation about how you can start to connect performance and outcomes to the idea of not just recognition, but also to the idea of um, how employees uh, get their work done through other employees, like the idea that there's a lot of networking and connection and collaboration. And we've seen this com the conversation for a long time, but I don't think we've seen that it's actually sort of come out with anything that's been really, really applicable. Um, this is one of the first times I've seen a technology that actually might have the opportunity because it's got enough um, of a base in the rewards and recognition space to actually maybe um, accomplish the idea of connecting performance outcomes with the idea of recognition and with the idea of social collaboration. So, so, so do you think that recognition software actually works? It, it seems to me that that as a um, value generating independent knowledge worker um, that 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 lots and lots of attaboys are quite counterproductive uh, and and so I wonder if there isn't some sort of a niche mechanism associated with with where the rewards and recognition stuff actually works. Have you thought about that? 
Oh no, I I would agree. I mean, I think I think rewards and recognition, as it stands in and of itself, has a very uh, it's a limited audience that sort of probably and and the limited audience that uses it effectively and, and appreciates it it you know works very well for. But I think that's part of what we're seeing is that those organizations who are in that space have to evolve to make them not just relevant, but to really meet the market at a broader level. Um, one of the things that Achievers has done to try and do this is they um, uh, acquired uh, last year, the beginning of, a, of this year, um, a company that I had noticed early on called Round Peg, which is sort of a cultural team assessment tool um, that, that helps organizations understand how individuals work and how individuals um, are motivated. And so they're sort of building this idea of personal motivation, personal development, personal um, team um, uh, approaches, right, into this idea of reward and recognition, which again gets back to how do I get my work done? Uh, so the reward and recognition isn't at the center of what they're doing. It's it's more a piece or part of this idea of sort of building the, the personalized motivator is a better word for um, employees. It's probably not a great word for it, but that's basically what it what is about changing behaviors, right? Yeah, I, I have a I have a similar conversation with Global Force, who are one of Achievers key competitors, and mm-hmm. um they are also sort of grappling with the question that a lot of um sort of digitally manufactured attaboys don't work in large scale information environments and yeah. and trying to figure out how to make the idea of rewards and recognition tuned to environments that are other than sort of routine hourly environments is is big on their uh, radar but but perhaps not built into their product line just yet yeah yeah I, like I said, this is an evolving space without a doubt, but I think it's it's good to see it moving in that direction because there's there's a lot of investment being made right now in that space because organizations are trying to figure out um, not just how they motivate their talent but how they really think about performance differently in their organization um, and I think um, part of this gets back to this constant personalization that we're going to see and and the idea of personalization is all about some sort of assessment, some sort of questioning, some sort of data gathering, and then figuring out how you tailor whatever you're doing, whether that's rewards, performance management, learning, um, even, you know, administrative areas like, you know, how people, you know, see their paychecks. All of that is in line with personalization. And everything HR is doing over the next probably five years will be towards improving that personalization because they've mastered the basic functionality, the 80% of what you have to do to get someone their paycheck and make sure their skills are tracked and make sure you know you know what jobs they have. What they haven't done a very good job now is of looking at individuals as people individually. So, so help me a little bit with that. It sounds to me like you've thought about this far more than I have. Personalization in paychecks. Um, uh, I would like my paycheck to have my name on it. That's 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 a high level of personalization. But but what else is it about the information in my paycheck that's different from the information in your paycheck? Why would you personalize that? Well, you know, I think there again, it depends on 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 what you're trying to. 
you know, sort of include in your paycheck stub. You know, some organizations, there's a lot of things that are required and there's some things that aren't required that people put into their paycheck stub. But, you know, if you live in India, right, they want to have your tax items broken out very specifically because individuals in India actually decide which elements they're they're paying from a tax and an, and an um, investment perspective, right? Um, and so for them, it's very, very important for them to have basically a view of every breakout of everything that their um, uh, paycheck is going towards, right, individually. Um, in the U.S., you might want to see every one of your benefits broken out from a cost perspective, or you might want to have that rolled up into an aggregate because you don't need to see that all broken out individually. You're, from your perspective, the lump sum is, is well enough, right? You might want to see um, on your paycheck um, some details about reimbursements or bonuses that are coming or will be coming in the next um, future that aren't maybe attached to that paycheck, but at least you want to know what cycles they're in. I mean, there's things like that that I've heard people talk about um, that are really specific to your role in an organization, at least at the very least, right? Oh, so you're saying that contemporary payroll processes don't actually serve the end user and that the standard reporting stuff that's on the pay stub is is not comprehensive. I didn't I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Not in the way that, that everyone wants to see it, yeah, or needs to see it sometimes. Yep. That's fascinating. So that Yeah, that I have to go to three places to see how many days off I have, right? It doesn't show it on my paycheck, but it sure would be nice if it did all it shows me on my paycheck is what I've accrued, right? But that accrual is not the same as how many days I might have to actually use, right? And it only shows it in hours, not weeks, so those type of things, right? You know, it's been so long since I got a physical paycheck <laughs> that, that, that I sort of forgot, right? Because don't most people get their paychecks electronically deposited? And don't they? Don't most people look online to see what their pay is? They do at this point. Yes, agreed. Yeah. So and those, but they look at it for different reasons, right? Yeah. So, so when you say pay stub, you really mean the contents of the screen that you can get to through the payroll processor. Exactly. Yeah. God, what a world we live in! What a world! And, <laughs> and so, so you know, you and I are so jaded because we assume that that's the way that it is because <laughs> of where we live in the world, and yeah. and it may not be that that place. It's hard to forget that. Hard to remember yeah. that sometimes. Yeah. So I do want to say that 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 I spent some time with the people at Ultimate, and I am increasingly impressed uh, with their approach to inserting a layer of intelligence into their software. They're they're doing what is one of a dozen possible points of view, but it's an interesting point of view. And the, uh, the ultimate view is that. Employee feedback and the meaning of employee feedback and sentiment should be the foundation of every decision made in an organization. And as a result, they're making that the primary layer of the technology. And so you have this entire HR suite that is increasingly driven by the feedback that employees give that particular segment of the functionality. And it is a it's an extremely thoughtful process. It is 
similar to what Cornerstone and Workday and Ceridian and Kronos, which are the ones I've looked, looked at closely, it's, it's similar to what they're doing. But I think the degree to which it is thoughtful about how to make the the direct impact out of employee feedback is, is particularly interesting. And I had, I had a really good conversation with them about that. You know, and, and I think what's, what's really going to be, you know, sort of as we watch what's happening in the market, right, you know, I would have to say there's probably about, oh, I, I mean, you'd probably know better than I, but I mean, just walking around the, the floor in the expo hall, I'd say I saw at least 25, maybe 30, um, you know, booths which were organizations that dealt with nothing but employee feedback tools, right? Um, right. And now we're seeing sort of employee feedback um, at the center of a few of these big enterprise technology systems where that was a space I don't know they would have played, you know, three, four years ago, to be honest, right? Um, do you think that, the, that, that someone like an ultimate can get to the same level of some of these individual assessment tools um, and, and it sounds to me like you think that that could be a, a real pathway to some of the more thoughtful artificial intelligence conversations that are going to be having. Well, so, so, so it is that there are several possible pathways, but, but it is, you, you know, if you look at Autodesk, who's a company entirely outside of our, our universe, mm-hmm. Autodesk has put customer feedback opportunities at every decision point in their workflow and they have like 35,000 decision points in the workflow and and they harvest that customer feedback to improve the software to make sure that they understand that the functionality is still relevant all sorts of things when you allow we've known for 50 years that all of the innovation in the company happens on the shop floor or, or wherever, wherever the value is created in the company, and that the basic inhibitor to accessing that value is management. Um, and so, so the idea that you can liberate that um, innovation from the shop floors, that's kind of the essence of the ultimate view. And what makes sense is that it's feedback integrated with workflow rather than separate from workflow. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so, so the people who are doing uh, communications workflow as if communications happened separately from work are going to get results that look like they think that communications happen separately from work. And this, this thing that, that um, Ultimate is working on is a tighter coupling. Now, now, now that said, you, uh, there, there are other ways to think about how to make this, the software and the employee experience um, intelligent that don't have anything to do with feedback and have everything to do with, with other aspects of productivity and the employee relationship. And so, so ultimate is just one point of view, um, but I think their development is is a little bit ahead of everybody else. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you mentioned, you know, productivity was definitely the word that was on so many organizations sort of bylines as they were sort of saying what they're doing would add to productivity, right? And we talk a lot about workforce productivity through the lens of um, how you can improve it through motivation, through behaviors, through rewards, through, as you said, you know, predictive analytics and assessments. Um, 
But the one thing that, you know, was actually a little bit almost like a, um, a, a gap in, in almost all of the announcements and the briefings I had this, this year at HR Tech Conference, right, was workforce management applications, time and attendance, labor. Generally, I have two or three vendors who are sort of either new or starting something different in that space, right? And I want to say there was, there was an almost an, uh, a noticeable absence um, to the workforce management space in, uh, even when you look at all the announcements from the various, you know, vendors, the 80 plus announcements they put out for um, HR Tech World um, or HR Tech, they basically didn't have anybody from the workforce management space that had any major announcements. The only one I think I would have to say that, that I saw was with Ceridian when I sat down with them and they gave me a walkthrough of some of the new voice recognition tools they have um, that they're rolling out that rolls into sort of their version of sort of machine learning um, that pulls in things like, um, you know, their ability to, you know, have the system make a decision about which employees would be most likely to swap a shift with someone, right? And they're leveraging their years of workforce management knowledge to not only figure out the 80 people who are capable of swapping it, but then the only the, the two people who you know are most likely because they've swapped that position a couple of times and because they have uh, requested that time on their own um, requirements are more likely to do it, right? Um, but that's the only thing I can think of that was really workforce management related in any of the briefings that I had this week. Um, oh, 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 so what about you? Did you see something in, the, in that space? I, I saw something from Kronos that I think is pretty interesting. And that is, um, th- there are a couple of pieces. Kronos is kind of a surprise to me as, as a, as an innovator, but when you build a shift schedule in Kronos, um, it, it, as a natural course of building the schedule, examines your choices and makes recommendations about your choices. So if you're, if you're building a hospital shift schedule for tomorrow um, and you've got Joe, the bedpan guy, in the thing, it, it might say, you know, Joe doesn't always make it in on Fridays. And um, if he doesn't change the bedpans out, you're going to have a decline in customer satisfaction scores. Uh, that kind of, why don't you pick Charlie because Charlie is a more reliable worker um, um, input into the scheduling process is a huge innovation and Kronos is doing some very interesting work in that, that arena. So, so that's interesting. So the two most well-known, I would say at this point, workforce management solutions, Kronos and Ceridian Dayforce, um, you know, the ones that have some of the higher levels of adoption outside of the ER, big ERPs that are also tracked in that space, um, are the only two making news. We haven't heard it from some of the other ones. It'll be interesting to see this year if that space heats up at all, because I think as we're talking more about productivity, you can't ignore this space. And as we can see, these two are obviously trying to make changes. Um, and maybe they'll start to spur the rest of the market to move a little bit. Oh, you know, you know what's, what, one of the other things that's interesting about Kronos is um, they've got, I, I don't have a good word for it, but they have this sort of a supervisory um, analytical tool that watches what happens in your payroll system. And it can do things like identify 
the behavior of supervisors who are trimming time out of employee time cards in order to make their financial objectives um, and identify that while it's happening rather than when the employees complain about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's cool, right? That's, yeah. that's something that's impossible to spot if you're doing it manually. Yeah, and those are the things I think that are going to have some of the biggest impact. We know that at an employee level, it's the, and it's not just hourly workforces that are dealing with some of those stuff, right? If you think about uh, project managers and people who are working at, you know, corporate levels, but who have skill sets that need to be sort of on site in specific roles, they have some of the same issues that you just talked about, that they need to be able to track sort of how many hours they're putting into things, because that's a lot of work maybe that's going into things that, that um could be done elsewhere, right? Those are the type of things that workforce management solutions could resolve if, if they're tracking stuff like that, right? That's right. That's right. You know, so, another. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say one other area that I that I that we haven't talked a lot about is the recruiting space. I know um, there was a pretty big announcement this week. Elaine Orler's company, Talent Function. Um, uh, she basically was was purchased, or the organization was purchased and acquired by. Of course, I have the name just on the tip of my tongue. And I'm like, Talent Sonar. Talent Sonar. Talent Thank Sonar. you. Yes. Um, and what was interesting is uh, Aaron Spencer, who is a, one of my counterparts, who was doing a briefing with them, was so excited about Talent Sonar this week because they were one of the few organizations that she spoke with who was talking about recruiting and as they were recruiting using some of their uh, machine learning approaches and algorithms, uh, really working hard to reduce bias in their processes, right? And she, she said, you know, in a lot of the conversations she had had this week about, um, you know, algorithm-based recruiting processes, they were the first that had that type of a conversation with her. And then she was really pleased to hear that Elaine, it sounds like, is joining them. Uh, you generally know some of the organizations who are in the recruiting space. Did you talk to any this week that really sort of impressed you with what they were doing and changing this week? Well, there's there's, a, there's always a lot of innovation that goes on in the talent space and the recruiting space. And one of the companies I talked to at some point was was Crowded. And Crowded is a kind of a simple idea. What they do is they take the old contact information in your applicant tracking system and update it. Simple idea. But in order to do that, they manage a stable of 100 providers of contact information. And in those 100 providers of contact information, they um, have a mechanism for scoring and tracking the accuracy of the predictions. Um, And that means that when you use Crowded to refresh your contact information, you're always buying the most accurate uh, contact information at the point that you need it. Hmm. Which is a hype, right? So, you, so in other yeah. words, you can buy single data points from large data flows rather than subscribing to the whole data flow. And that principle, which is finding the most relevant piece of data from a, an array of data providers, um, is something that will make a great big difference as we start to have exploding points of view in various aspects of the talent data stream. So, so the next logical place to do that is in compensation data, where today there are 35 providers of compensation data, and um, tomorrow there's going to be 50. 
and and so tools that help you buy the most relevant piece of data from a bunch of conflicting sources um, are going to be a real live thing. So so I think that's pretty exciting. Yeah, that's definitely gonna gonna change maybe some way people think a little bit about their data sources and where they get them from for those particular things. Uh, and uh, so those are sort of the big things that I found this year. I didn't get a chance to brief with many of the learning organizations, although I know that's a space that's changing pretty rapidly. We know from our data about 25% of organizations are evaluating um, their LMS or learning management system environment. Um, so we know that's a space that's, again, also dealing with a lot of change. Um, and we know that um, the organizations that are sort of developing around the new modern approach to microlearning um, are rapidly gaining, um, you know, uh, adoption, but I don't think we're seeing any major changes yet that I've seen or heard of. <laughs> yep. Yep, I, th I, th I think it's still early. Next year is going to be a fantastic year here. Next year is just going to be amazing because all of these experiments are going to start to blossom. Yeah. yeah. This year, it's, my, favorite, my favorite line this year was, was that we're training everything this year. Next year, we're hoping we'll be able to let it work. <laughs> so, so today we're training the monkeys, and next year they're going to dance. That's right. <laughs> Great. So it was fantastic to catch up, Stacey. I, I, I think it was a good show in general. I should say yeah. we need to thank Gina Kelly for taking such good care of us this year and the the show management at LRP for being so delightful about giving us a place to learn. Yep. Yeah, and definitely a, a big thank you to uh, Steve Bose for all of his programming efforts. I know that it is not an easy job trying to get everything scheduled into this environment, and uh, I think, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of good and interesting uh, presentations this week and heard a lot of um, organizations who um, have really got a chance to showcase some of the things that they were doing because of the some of the new uh, layouts and formats of the schedule. So, yeah, it's, it's a pretty good show. We'll get a chance hopefully next year to um, get a chance to uh, let everyone see all the brand new changes that are going to happen. Yep. So until next year, or at least next week. <laughs> Thanks for doing this, Stacey. And we will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to HR Tech Weekly with Stacey Harris and John Sumption. We've been doing the HR Tech Annual Review. Thanks so much, and thanks again, Stacey. Thanks, John. Bye, everyone. Bye-bye now.